Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast. I'm Pinar Gvanj. I have the absolute pleasure of hosting Patrick McLeamy today. Patrick is an American architect who spent 50 years at HOK, a leading architecture and engineering firm. Rising from junior designer to CEO, Patrick witnessed the company's growth from a single Midwestern office to 27 locations around the world. During his time at HOK, Patrick led many significant projects, including the Moscon Center in San Francisco and King Khalid International Airport in Saudi Arabia. Patrick has been heavily involved in efforts to improve the building industry, serving on various committees and receiving multiple honors for his work. He was a founding member of Building Smart International in 1994 and now serves as the international chairman. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Patrick McLamey. Patrick is an architect and the chairman of Building Smart International. Patrick, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here and speak with so many young people who are doing their best to understand architecture and this building industry that we're part of. Uh, it's a lifelong project to understand it fully. And um, uh, it's something that I've studied uh, my entire career and continue to be amazed at things that they did not teach me in, in school. <laughs> but I had to learn on my own. Well, that's why we're doing this podcast. And that's why we have speakers like you joining us. So we're very much looking forward to this conversation. We would actually love to hear more about your background and how you came to where you are today. Okay, well, thank you. I, um, I always wanted to be an architect. My grandfather was a carpenter. And he built houses for people and he drew the house plans um, before the computer, of course, um, uh, on his kitchen table with a little homemade drafting board. And I, uh, he taught me how to draw house plans. So when I was too young to know what an architect was, I wanted to be a carpenter so I could draw house plans. And uh, that stuck with me um, and uh, never wavered from that um, and, uh, and studied architecture. Um, it's a long process. The University uh, of Illinois, where I went, uh, plus some studies in Europe, uh, taught me a lot about history and about design, but not too much about uh, the technical side of, of architecture and nothing at all about how do you run a practice? How do you, how do you successfully run a practice and uh, be able to make a profit and pay yourself and pay your employees and those kinds of things. I had to learn all of that on my own uh, or in, in, in my career. And uh, I spent 50 years, exactly 50 years in one firm, HOK, uh, started when the firm was just one office in an unlikely place, St. Louis, Missouri, in the middle of the US, and, uh, and stepped down 50 years later as the CEO um, with the firm having 2,000 people in 27 offices around the world. Um, and uh, I learned a lot about mistakes, about correcting mistakes, about people, about money, and uh, things that architects don't usually like to think about. Uh, but I came up with a very clear conclusion, which is that for architects to do a really great job, and take a good place in our society. They need to be well paid and well fed. They need to have steady jobs, uh, not hand to mouth, uh, so they can actually plan for their future and plan to do really great buildings. Uh, so to me, the underpinning of a great architecture is, um, it's like, a, it's like a, a guild, the old building guilds. Someone takes care of the, the uh, artists, painters, and sculptors, so they can do beautiful work. So I think the modern architecture firm needs to take care of its people. People are everything. It's not computers. It's not the latest whiz-bang uh, software program. It's people that do the work, that do the creating, that serve the clients. And the job of a modern architecture firm 
is to take care of its people. And if you're not doing that, if you're not paying them well or giving them a career, they will leave and you will have to start over again. And that's the story of too many firms is a, a kind of a roller coaster ride, a boom and bust. So how do you overcome that and develop a strong firm as a foundation for people to be their best where they can grow up in the firm? And uh, as they learn more skills and become more valuable to you, to the firm, you can hang on to them, keep them by giving them uh, first better pay and then eventually a share of ownership. So that attracts them to stay. That's what happened to me. And I wish it could happen to every young person that's listening to this is find a nurturing firm where the people that own the firm want to give it all away to the next generation and teach them everything that they know and give them the means to uh, not only be good architects, but have families or have uh, personal lives as well, whatever they want. Um, that's, that's, that's the secret to doing great work is to take care of people. I love that you say this as it's something so relatable. You're saying this after like 50 years being in the same firm, right? So it's like yep. the mega insight of everything, like what comes first. And yep. also like exactly to your point, whatever we're trying to accomplish in this world, right? If we're trying to solve problems, make change, adopt new technologies, whatever, these are all human challenges. And in the end, it requires humans to be on board and be happy and be so in that sense, I think we often are so focused on solving a problem that we forget what real like assets are in order to be able to like solve those problems. And uh, I'm so glad we're like anchoring the conversation like around <laughs> us right now. <laughs> well, and, and you know, um, if you don't start with that premise that people are everything, uh, you won't actually have success as the kind of design success that every architect dreams of. Um, I think of uh, maybe one of the most creative people who ever lived, Michelangelo, uh, as a painter and a sculptor and, and uh, a real artisan and an architect. Uh, he was taken care of by the Medici family and then by the Pope. They basically gave him a workshop and a bunch of uh, nice Carrera marble to work with and some nice tools and some assistants and said, here, uh, do great work. And uh, they gave him a living so that he could focus on what he knew how to do. Exactly. And I, I do think that, that we all have a little Michelangelo in us. And it's a matter of having somebody nurture us, teach us what we don't know, help us to learn to be our best, help us to gain experience, which every architect needs to have. When you come out of school, you really don't know how to practice architecture. And uh, and uh, not all of us will turn out to be Michelangelo's, but yeah. we, can, we can have great careers helping clients and helping each other succeed. And I, I think that uh, the world needs great architecture. It needs, uh, I'm not talking about just zippy, um, new architecture. We need great architecture that's for also for people. That's where people live and that's where they get educated and where when they're sick, they go to a, a hospital. That, that's all architecture. And um, we, uh, the world needs us to be at our best, especially with the way the world is changing. We're all living mostly in urban areas now. And it's mostly not very good, not very noble. And architects need to step forward and do much, much more. But it starts with the kind of firms that we have. So that architects, young people who are architects or, or landscape architects or interior designers, I'm calling this all in the design professions, um, so that we have a place to be grounded and a, a safe place to work um, where people appreciate us. And that's, that's inside that firm that kind of culture, uh, if you're able to achieve that, and it takes a lot of discipline, then it allows the firm to compete like a great big team, uh, to compete with uh, other firms or with, uh, uh, or with the, to compete to overcome the challenges of how do you design in a 
urban area with uh, with traffic and and pollution and crime and this and that. How do you do your best anyway and help the the city where you are uh, to be its very best? And uh, it starts with the firm that takes care of people, uh, not only taking care of them, but steady paychecks. Uh, uh, you know, when I was a youngster uh, in college, I worked in the summer for a local architect in my hometown, and uh, we got paid every Friday. And sometimes the boss would come into the drafting room, that's what we had then, all by hand, and say, I don't have the money today. I'm sorry, we'll have to wait till next week because so-and-so client did not pay us in time. <laughs> so uh, that's also part of uh, practice is you have to be good enough at the business side of architecture to understand how to make a profit, how to collect the, the fees from the clients and how to have reserves to cushion the firm when a client is a little bit slow in paying um, and uh, how to hold your firm together financially um, so that, again, the people can do the good work. So there, it's a lifetime of learning. I did write a book about it. Uh, that's uh, And I've, I've done a podcast series on just this. Uh, so if someone wants to really do a deep dive, I, I, they're certainly welcome to. But it's uh, it starts with people. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I love that you gave that example because also, you know, like when you're studying architecture, nobody teaches you about like cash flow management, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like it impacts so much and actually just goes beyond being cash flow management. It impacts like project quality, motivation, like everything. Yes. yes. Like everything. Well, and, and um, if you, if you don't have cash flow management in your firm, and people are not being paid in on time, or maybe you're paying your people, but your your vendors and your consultants are not being paid on time. That's not a very good practice. Um, you will find that your consultants, let's say, if they're not being paid regularly, they'll be more interested in helping the firm across town that does pay them regularly. And same with your, your vendors, the people that sell you supplies, um, the people that, any, anything, uh, Paying people on time is a sign of uh, uh, good practice. It's, it's healthy. Um, I spent a long time digging uh, HOK out of a big hole that had been dug where we didn't have enough cash. And uh, we had the bank angry with us. We had an investor that was angry. And uh, we were still making our payroll, but we had a lot of consultants that were very unhappy with us. And how do you dig out of a hole? Well, you you start billing and collecting your money that you you work so hard to earn. You know, uh, when architects work, it's typical. Uh, somebody hires us to design something. We're very excited about it. And we start to work, maybe even before we have a contract. Uh-oh. <laughs> and <clears throat> clients will be very... This sounds familiar to so many people right now. <laughs> clients would be very, very happy to let you work for free if you don't ask for a contract, they'll just say, well, yes, that's that's fine. I'll pay you. I'll pay you when when. Uh, but could you just do a little bit more? And uh, uh, that's that's being taken advantage of. That's, uh, you know, slavery in, in the United States was outlawed in 1865. So that's a form of slavery that too many firms fall into, especially if they're desperate. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, the right way to do it is to, uh, and it's hard work, very hard work, is to convince a client that you have what it takes to help them solve uh, their design problem, to help them get that new building, whatever it is, and uh, that you are worth it to have a contract, a proper contract, and to be properly paid on time. And uh, when you work for a client like that and, uh, and you're paid on time, things tend to go well. If projects are started properly with a contract, with a good, clear understanding of uh, the business side, I'm going to bill you every month. I'm going to do progress billings. I'm going to do whatever it is. And you actually stick to that and don't shirk from it. 
the clients, if they're happy with the work, they will pay. Uh, it's, if clients are not paying you, it's either because you have the wrong client or perhaps they're not as happy with the work. That's another problem. If, you, if your client is unhappy, one of the signals that they send is to not pay. And so uh, you need to also not only take care of your people, but you need to stick to your client. Your client is, after all, it's your customer. And uh, what's the difference between a client and a customer? You could say, well, maybe if, if I'm doing professional service like designing or I'm a doctor, uh, I have patients or I have customers or clients. Uh, if I'm selling apples on the street, I guess I have customers. But it's really kind of the same. You need to give them something that they're willing to pay for, and they need to be willing to pay you on time for the work that you do. So um, good little lessons in that. Uh, for every uh, firm, uh, every young architect listening to this saying, well, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in becoming the next great designer. And well, that's <laughs> fine, but you also like to get paid regularly and have food on the table. So uh, it's all connected, uh, but it does start with people. And uh, yes, you have to have clients. Clients are like gold. You have to treat them well. You have to stay in touch. Uh, if you're the if you own the firm and you have someone else working for your client, you better make sure that you meet that client regularly, once a week, once a month, have lunch or have a cup of coffee together. How are we doing? How's my team doing? What do you think of my new young designer or the, the new project leader that I put on the job? Is he or she doing what you need? Are you Are you satisfied? Just get that feedback. Don't leave it to someone else to tell you uh, that they're unhappy, ask the client. And if they're unhappy, give them the chance to tell you that, well, I wish that such and so had been something better. And then you then you run toward trouble. You go correct that, whatever it is. I, I think, you know, we, we just said people first. And this is kind of like goes to all stakeholders, right? In the end, client side are the people that you work with. And it's all people relationships and management and yeah. genuinely showing that you care for the project, for the people, for the relationship, right? And I think what you said in terms of also, you know, why we even started practicing architecture, it, it, well, I want to say it was for people because sometimes it also like gets a bit distracted. Um, but it, initially, like we started with like creating shelters for people, right? That was like That's our initial intention. And it. I think the more far we are removed from people first culture in a firm, I think we also are removed from people first outcomes. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know this way more than I do, right? So there are many outcomes that don't necessarily serve people in the best, uh, in their best interest. That's right. That's right. And so how do you, um, I guess like, and this is like fascinating to me because we were uh, on a different episode with an environmental psychologist. So she was talking about like how architectural psychology was a common phrase in 1970s. I'm like, not now, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> happened. where did we use, lose that like human touch? And I'm yes. curious to hear your yes. thoughts on that. Well, uh, I do think that uh, uh, the challenge for the architect is much more difficult now. It's a bigger challenge than it was when I started in the practice uh, 50 years, 55 years ago. Uh, the computer can actually get in the way between people, uh, especially with COVID. We're having Zoom meetings and, um, and uh, people are working, you know, in their pajamas and 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 so on instead of working with each other directly and i'm a i'm a proponent of uh of uh, getting people together people are a team if you do things properly and the client and the consultants and the contractor become part of the same team if you do it just right uh where everybody is working for the same good outcome that's the ideal that's the ideal um if you let too many things get in the way of that then the project has a, an excellent chance of failure. So, and it really is a people business. Oh my gosh, I did not understand that at first. I thought, well, it'll be obvious that I'm doing great design work, so people will just naturally like me and like the work. 
and it did not work that way. Uh, they wanted to like me first and then appreciate my work. Uh, so they wanted to see me as a person. And I'm sure it's that 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 is as old as humanity. Um, uh, people needing to be friends. You can do the best work if everybody's pulling together. It's, it's obvious. It's like a sports analogy. Um, teamwork. Um, architecture in a, in a re very real way is a team sport. It's not. A, yes, you can have individual stars, but I would rather have the team where everybody knows exactly how to help each other pass the ball or score the goal or whatever it is um, uh, so that the team itself succeeds. And um, if you have individual stars that don't get along well with other people, you also have a formula for uh, failure. Uh, that's not to say that someone cannot be a star, but they need to also be a team player. They need to work with others in their own firm, in the consulting firm, on the client side, and on the contractor side. Those are all people that work that need to work together to, to assure the best outcome, which is a completed, successful building that's on time and on budget with a very happy client. That is a lot. And it takes that teamwork to make that happen. That is a lot. I, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad you brought up team play because I think we popularize the concept of star architecture for a while and creating idols, which I think a whole generation simply, I don't want to say got it wrong, but also I think imagined a different model of doing business. And you did mention, you know, Medici's and I'm thinking of like Michele's book, like The Prince, right? It's better to be feared than to be loved. And I think <laughs> we follow that ethos for a little bit, but then that does not sustain, right? Like it could work like, you know, wartime. It works like temporarily. You definitely get things done, but yes. It does not necessarily sustain. Uh, what I found in my career was uh, fear. If someone is afraid of their boss or the leader of the firm, or maybe afraid of the client or, um, or the contractor, um, it is a great big barrier in the way of actually getting good work done. It works temporarily, maybe. Fear is a real motivator for people getting a job out on time or something. Yeah. But it actually, over the long time, uh, I've had to, uh, I've done my share of hiring people and also of letting people go. And most often it was the people that did not get along with other people that, um, that, uh, were either, uh, fearful, uh, fearsome people that is that tended to dominate others, um, or, uh, people who were just all about themselves. So, uh, I didn't take any psychology courses in university, but um, I had to learn psychology all along the way because it's 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 at the core of everything in the practice. It's uh, uh, how do you get people motivated and how do you get them to work together for the common good, which is uh, serving that client, getting that project completed, winning that next project, whatever it is, it takes teamwork. It takes people working together. I, I find it very difficult to imagine. I know that some people do this, a sole practitioner. Uh, you have to have extraordinary skills in all directions to be a sole practitioner. I find it much easier, actually, to have a firm where you can share the work and share the responsibilities with others and uh, find that oh, well, you know, I'm not very good at this, but someone over on the other side of the office is really good at it. Let's let him or her take care of that. The people, there's a natural sorting out when you have a firm, just like people sort themselves out in uh, sports teams. Some people are good at catching the ball and others are good at throwing the ball. So let's all find our correct place. I, I joined HOK thinking I was going to be a designer and I started as one but found I had very natural uh, talents or abilities to, to organize things and, um, and uh, became a, eventually became a project manager and then, and then uh, the managing principal in the office and then finally the CEO. Um, 
because I had I was really interested in the stuff that they don't teach us in school. So somebody needs to learn all that and take care of that piece of it uh, in order for a firm to be successful. And if you have a firm of one person or three or, or 10 people, which I think the average firm in the U.S. is eight, eight people. Um, it, among those eight people, there has to be someone who's interested in billing and collecting and who's interested in developing um, a budget for a project that will actually sustain the firm through the project and make some profit at the end. And uh, let me just say a word about profit. Some people think of profit as a kind of a dirty word that if you if you make a profit, it means you didn't use every last penny of the fee to improve the design. That's actually not true, in my opinion. What the profit does is it goes back into the firm. It doesn't go into the owner's pocket. Uh, uh, it goes into in the form of bonuses, raises maybe investment in that new computer system, uh, maybe hiring an expert in some uh, part or piece of a building that the firm needs to be successful at getting that next job. Uh, uh, that's where the money goes. And if you're not making a profit, uh, it also means you're not building up any, any uh, reserve cash to use for rainy days or when that client doesn't pay you or to use when that extraordinarily talented person comes in your door and you'd like to hire them, but you don't have an immediate job for them. You hire them anyway because you don't want to miss on that talent. So uh, profit is a really good word. And uh, anyone who's been in the practice for a while understands it's not just going in the owner's pocket. It's going back into the firm in hundreds of different ways. Yeah, and creates a healthier firm to also better perform for the projects too. Like it's, yes. you know, like I don't think you, you would necessarily deliver a great job for a client if you're barely breaking even. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's it. That, that um, uh, Some people think that in order to be successful as a designer, you have to suffer. It's kind of a starving artist syndrome. Um, and you have to be, um, you have to have such passion for the work that you're willing to starve yourself and then finally, some patron will notice and start buying your paintings or your sculpture. Yeah. And uh, architecture is a, at, at the end of the day, it's, it, it, there's an art to it. There's no question about that. But there's also a great practical side. It is shelter. And it does need to stand up and not fall down. It does need to keep the rain out. And all these very, very practical things. And the the way good things good practical buildings get built is by people who are well paid and have good steady jobs and are, have the chance to think clearly about it and they're not starving yeah that they're well cared for uh so that they can care for their their families if they have one or uh have their own money um to have their own to plan for their own future yeah so uh i i think it's all about uh taking really good care of people so your good people can take care of your clients. That's a simple way of thinking about it. Definitely. And if we don't set that balance, that also kind of starts defining uh, the population or human body that we start seeing in the profession, like people who can sustain without relying on paycheck, um, which is sort of creating its own problem, right? Then we're questioning why don't we see enough diversity uh, among uh, our teams or even, you know, the workflow to your, exactly to your point, if we can't necessarily hire uh, people, even though we may not need it at the moment, but maybe yeah. it relieves pressure from other team members who are very much deserving that also creates more inclusion in terms of like gender diversity and all of that, right? Yeah, I sure. So many women who had to leave an, a, a job at an architectural firm and go to a client side um, because they couldn't sustain as a mother, for example, in the profession. Yes, yes. Um, yes. And it's on repeat, right? We see these so, so many times. So I think understanding that profit could and should be for people and therefore a profitable firm does matter. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, um, 
Yeah, in terms of uh, genders, uh, when I started in the practice, again, 55 years ago, before most everybody listening to this podcast was born, uh, it was almost all men. Uh, I think I there were there were two women in my graduating class out of I don't know hundreds of men. Uh, but um, in the in the time that I was in the practice, um, the practice dramatically changed. And uh, when I left HOK again, two thousand people, it was fifty three percent women and people of all colors and uh, orientations and so on. I don't actually care what color you are or what gender you are. Can you serve your client and get along well on, with your team? Do you have a talent and a passion for the work? Uh, if so, you belong in this, what we called the HOK family. And it should be like a family. Where, and, it's, and it should be, of course. Of course it should be inclusive. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you're the owner, if you're, if you're looking out for your firm, you need to make sure that you're always on the lookout for people who can fit into your firm, your your family, if I can use that word, and uh, add something new to it uh, to enrich the team, uh, a new talent, uh, maybe someone with a passion that does, didn't exist before. Uh, I remember uh, at HOK hiring a, a young woman uh, with a great passion for sustainable design and uh, she's now the head of sustainable uh, consulting for HOK, a very important position. So, uh, yes, the door is open and should be. And a well-run firm uh, should always be having enough room, enough capacity to squeeze in that one more person. If all these other things are, are if you're taking care of your clients, if you're collecting your money, if you have a cash reserve, if you know how to manage cash flow, et cetera. And if you pay your bills and your and you always your payroll always gets paid on time, mm-hmm. um, that's the first thing. If you're not paying your people well, you know what'll happen. The really best people that you have will leave first, and the people that are weaker or maybe less experienced will stick around and keep their heads down and hope that you don't lay lay them off. Well, you want the best people. You want people to be knocking at your door. Can I come in and work for you? That's what you really want. You want to be popular. Uh, why? Well, because it's a great place to work and because people always get paid on time and because the benefits are there and because the work is exciting uh, and the opportunities for growth are there. That's, that's, uh, that's a lot, but that's what it takes. And, you know, um, we're not just building one building at a time, one stone on top of another at a time anymore. Buildings are complex, difficult projects to, to, to design and build. We've got lots of different uh, technical requirements. We've got um, code requirements on code requirements. And um, uh, all of that takes uh, all of that takes specialized knowledge. So the architect can be a generalist. But you better have people who are specialized that know how to comply with the code and uh, knows how to work with the structural engineer to make the building uh, uh, seismically safe, let's say, and and so on. It's a it's a great big complicated thing to do all of this uh, and still not lose your soul. So <laughs> start with the people. Start with the people. Yeah, and I mean. It's we say this all the time, I guess, like practicing it is something else, right? Like you're only as good as your team. And not only, you know, building itself is such a complicated project, right? But also the world that we operate in today is highly, highly complex and volatile, too. So it's we would be super naive to assume that we could address any of these problems by like certain skill set only. And, you know. With, without like the diverse like professional and lived experiences of people and I think yes. um, we often say like collaboration is a very loosely used term but we really need to understand what it actually means and how we effectively can collaborate you know even like 
within your own team and beyond your team, the consultants, other firms potentially, and also your client at this point, because a good client all helps create a great outcome. Um, How are you going to be on the same mindset with your client as well? Going back to, you know, it's people management and cultivating those like relationships. Yes, it it is. um, It's a, it's the most human of things to do. I, I think uh, it's also one of the most challenging, complex, technically getting more complex all the time. Just think about this. If you go back a, a, a few hundred years, buildings were built mostly with stone or wood or brick. And um, the stone uh, was quarried locally. So that's why if you go to Europe and you see these beautiful towns, these uh, villages, they all look so wonderful because they're all quarried from all built from the same quarry, the same stones. Well, now, uh, when you are are specifying pieces and parts to your building, your windows or your doors or your ceiling or whatever it is, you don't know where that's going to come from. It could it could be made in Japan or China or somewhere else in the world. Uh, it could as easily be a Mitsubishi elevator instead of an Otis elevator. And so uh, the marketplace for the building products is global. And I argue, uh, and I got started with Building Smart, this organization, this nonprofit that I was one of the founders. <clears throat> to take advantage of this, if you have a global marketplace for uh, buildings and infrastructure, the built environment, uh, how do you make that the most efficient? And how do you make it work with languages and different codes in different countries and so on? It's a big, complicated thing. But I believe that our future is uh, we'll have better buildings because we can buy the best products to exactly what we specify um, without being too concerned about where they come from, as long as we're collaborative about it. So uh, it's a bright future out there for the young people if they seize that day, but the basics are, you've got to take care of your people in your firm and you've got to know how to run your firm like a like a business and make a profit and take care of your people so they can take care of your clients. What, what, what are your thoughts on, um, because you mentioned kind of like the passion we have in our industry and which is driving yeah. us likely, you know, starting projects without having a contract or whatever, like it's, yeah. you know, uh, it's like a chain effect. Um, and I think, especially for people in like creative fields like this, and maybe this is like in architecture and fashion or in like other design professions, you see this often, there is the tendency both on the internal side. I mean, I think maybe this is like going away slowly, but really to exactly to your point, like underpay or, you know, yes. treat it yes. like trusting your own brand asset to, for, uh, to not care about turnover. Oh, it, what if what, we don't care if people leave, others will come, you know, like that attitude. But also knowing that that attitude exists, it impacts the client side in terms of like, I don't want to say not respecting, but also, um, you know, not paying on time or not, you know, because these yes. people do it anyway, right? So yeah. we have these like brilliant people who are in a profession because they really care about things and not first money too. Like, it's not yeah. like all architects are like great with like money. We're not. Um, but then that's creating this, um, side effect in the industry of like, oh, they will work anyway. Right. Um, which is impacting maybe like even project budgets, right? Like, because we need to have healthy project budgets to be profitable. And then again, like to, uh, create that return for the people. So of course, like you talked about the leadership aspect of it, like as a good leader, what are you responsible of? How, what do you... What do you think the young architects and creatives should do to kind of create this push or even like the new culture of working? What can they do when they feel junior in a position and maybe they don't have that much influence, but how can they encourage change in a way? Well, I think, um, honestly, uh, you you put your finger on it. Uh, The best thing a young person can do, in my opinion, is get into a what I call a good firm. And my definition of a good firm is um, 
one that does pay people. No, no unpaid internships, uh, no slave labor, uh, where there is a low turnover, not a high turnover, um, where young people are buddied up with someone with more experience so they can learn. Um, uh, where there's, we have a mentoring system at HOK and have had for decades where young people coming in, they're given an onboarding at the one day, um, kind of seminar of, Here's what to expect because it's intimidating, right? You're going in from uh, maybe university or small firm into a great big firm yeah. with uh, one or 200 people in an office. It's intimidating. So we use great care in bringing people in and uh, then pair them up with a buddy uh, who can help them, somebody who's been at work for a couple of years, who can help them learn and understand what to do, even simple things like, uh, where's the coffee and things like that. So um, uh, that to, that's my definition of a good firm. When I graduated from uh, master, I got a master's degree in urban design. I went to Boston because Boston was where a lot of the firms were that were in the architecture magazines of that time. And, uh, and interviewed with a couple of firms there and in a couple of cases, they both said to me, well, you have an interesting portfolio. We'd love to hire you. We really can't. But if you want to work as an unpaid intern for six months, maybe then we'll be able to hire you. Six well, months. I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And first, I needed the money. I needed a job so I could feed myself and put a roof over my head. I was just graduating and had no money. Uh, so uh, you've got to, I, it comes right back to what I started with. Uh, for a young person, finding that firm that's the right fit for you or where you are. And if you're in a, if you're in a firm that's the right place, you will also find you can grow and learn and be a, become a better, more experienced architect or designer or engineer or whatever you are. You can become better at it, not just used and then thrown away. That's what I think we need as a profession. If I could just make this blunt statement, we need to get our act together as a profession and learn how to operate uh, properly uh, and so that we can regain the esteem of the clients and society as really important players in shaping the environment that we all have to live and work in. I want us to be the shapers of the urban environments that we all live in now, but we're not good enough yet. Uh, we have to really work at this. So to, I'm, I'm a man on a mission <laughs> to change the profession and get us to regain uh, back in the early parts of the 1900s. Architects were not on a pedestal exactly, but they were pillars of society yeah. uh, along with the the doctor and maybe the, the minister uh, and, the, and the professors and so on. And uh, that is not so much true these days. And instead, we've got star, star architecture uh, here and there. And a lot of firms struggling to put uh, projects together and struggling to get paid by clients who don't really understand what good design is. And good design, we could have a whole hour talking about what really good design means, it's more than a pretty face. It's just like people. It's all the way through good. If you're designing something that's really all the way through good, um, that means that it really works well. It doesn't just look pretty. It works for whatever the, the purpose is. I, at, usually at these times, when it, if it's a uh, webinar, I hold up my iPhone and I say, here, this is good design. It fits in my hand, but I have the whole world at my, you know, I can talk or, or seek with my thumb. Uh, the whole world is open to me and it can do all these wonderful things and it's affordable. And if I drop it, which occasionally I do, it usually uh, does a pretty good job of not breaking. Yeah. That's great design. And it's, it's all the way through. If you, uh, people don't understand that, it's just, I want to, I want to design a pretty building. Well, yeah, but what about the all the way through building? 
you want it to be really, really, really good all the way through. You know, uh, again, I'm, I'm getting off track here, but. No, no, no. I think it's very relevant and kind of like ties up everything we said, right? Like, because there's, you know, a lot of conversation around like form follows function, but what does that function really mean? And then also in a capitalist world, sometimes it's like more form follows finance, which is also uh, yes. true. But then also like, how does form get inspired by people? I think that should be the starting point of the conversation. And then we figure out the function and the finance and all of that, right? Yep. Like yep. In the in initial question being, what are we doing and why and for who, right? Yep. And in that sense, I think what you talked about through your entire experience is like everything is so interconnected, right? Like how you, when you pay your people reflects in everything <clears throat> And um, that's why I love like talking about these because we see a lot of surface problems in an industry. Like it's cl like so clear that we can do better in built environment. That's already yes. given, right? But yes. like, what are some underlying reasons of the problems that we're seeing today? Yes. And I think people's treatment is one, and it generally is probably the first in any industry where you're seeing any type of problem. Yes. In the end, as you said, human human psychology is everything. Is, is yes. anything you know we, we uh, if we're going to get better we don't need to work harder i think we all work plenty hard we need to be a lot smarter about it yeah and um it, it is a back to basics with people it's also learning basics of how to run a business successfully so that the cash flow and so on are there and yes it's getting to the position where you're strong enough as a firm that you can say no to a client that wants to do something you don't agree with. Yeah. And uh, you can do it in a good professional way of saying, you know, there's a better way to do this. I'd be happy to work with you if you want to do it this better way. And if you want to do it the way that you just described, you can find someone else. I don't want to subject my people and my firm to, to doing it the, the way you want to do it. Uh, it's an amazing thing. When you're when you're positioned to do that, to actually say no to a client that's um, maybe maybe uh, overzealous about making money, let's say, uh, uh, it's amazing what happens when you say no. Often it makes them, in a very odd kind of way, they're really attracted to you then because you had the courage to say no. But it, it all starts with you. You have to have a well put together firm. Uh, with all those things we've just talked about for this uh, this session, um, and uh, once you have that, all good things are possible. So it's the fundamentals of getting a firm put together. Again, I've said it. I'll say it one last time. I guess the firm that's really successful takes care of its people, so they can take care of clients. And uh, that's there's a whole bunch of things that you have to do to take care of your people. I, I think this is a great note to kind of wrap up our conversation. I do want to also finally ask any, what else is keeping you busy these days and oh. anything you should be aware of? <laughs> well, building smart is my other big passion. I've been at that, uh, building smart is an international nonprofit that, um, is led by the building and infrastructure industries led by practitioners. Um, and we are developing um, open digital standards uh, to allow people to, to be more efficient and effective at the use of the computer uh, for design and coordination of the work. What does all that stuff mean? It means we want the computer to be more of, a, of an aid and helper to the architect, not a, not a barrier to be overcome. Uh, we want uh, good, uh, I'll give you one short example. Uh, when I'm designing a building, I want my computer, if I'm designing on the computer, I want my computer to be able to tell me as I man manipulate the spaces and add and subtract windows and add and subtract overhead uh, overhangs, I want it to be able to tell me what my energy consumption is doing and what, I'm, what my cost is so that it's, it's real-time feedback so I can do a better job, more informed job as an architect. If you want to go deep, deep green to zero carbon or zero net energy, 
you have to do it with open BIM solutions. Um, and you have to start in design. You can't wait until you, the building is designed and then bolt on deep green. You have to, it's one of those all the way through things. Exactly. So that's my other big passion. Uh, in fact, I'm headed to Rome on Friday for, uh, we have three meetings a year that I attend. So this one is in Rome. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I enjoy and, uh, <laughs> uh, We have chapters all across the world, um, including Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, and, uh, and North America. We're going to get our first South American chapter uh, probably this year. So yeah. it's quite exciting. It's a very international group. Um, we call it the International Friendship Club <laughs> because we all work together to set standards, digital standards for the work we do using people from all these different countries in, in very large working groups and committees. Anyway, that's my other big, plus my wife and my two grown children and our beautiful grandchildren. That's my <laughs> other passion. Well, this is, uh, I think it's a great case example of how to effectively do international collaboration. And again, investing in the people while also having technology and computers help us along the way. So um, Patrick, thank you so much. This was so amazing. And I, you know, I love that you you had uh, the ability and humility to condense kind of like all these <laughs> of experience into a very relatable and, um, you know, actionable form too. I think we can all t take away things from it. And uh, all, everything you mentioned was definitely very near and dear to my heart. So thank you for all of that. And thank you. It, for it, it's my absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, you're a perfect listener as well. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong with the Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.